0: Welcome to the Do Good Radio Hour with Bluegrass Community Foundation. We believe doing good inspires good. It's the gift that keeps on giving. The intention behind this show is to encourage you by sharing the undeniable good happening within our community. One of the ways we plan to do that is by sharing the stories of nonprofit organizations across the region who are creating more generous, vibrant and engaged communities. Tune into the Do Good Radio Hour every Monday at 2 p.m. to hear about the good that is the heartbeat of our community and how you can get more involved. Welcome listeners, my name is Kayton and I am a part of the communications team here at BGCF. This time of year is super fun here at the foundation because it is good giving challenge time. For those of you who are unfamiliar, this is a week long online giving challenge for nonprofit organizations with various matching and prizing opportunities for your donors. This year is our 10th anniversary, with a running nine year total of $11.7 million given. So we are hoping to make this year the best year yet. Don't miss it, December 1st through December 7th. We all know 2020 has been challenging, but it hasn't stopped nonprofits from coming alongside their communities and keeping the spirit of philanthropy alive in a time when we need it most. Please help me give a warm welcome to Allie Barnett, the Executive Director of Justin's Place. Hey, thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, we're excited to have you on and learn a little bit more about Justin's Place, the organization. I have a lot of personal connections with people that have gone out and just rave about all the work that you do. So tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you got involved at Justin's Place. Yeah, so I am by trade, I'm a registered nurse, but I'm also
1: a therapeutic writing instructor and um, had previously founded my own therapeutic writing nonprofit and had the opportunity to come on board at Justin's Place at the beginning of this year. Um, full time. And so now I'm here and I get to do all aspects of what I love the
0: most, um, which is helping people and kids with the use of horses. So Justin's Place is a very unique name. Can you give us a little insight about how that name came about, the story behind it, the story behind the organization? Absolutely
1: so justin's place was named after a young man named Justin king and he lost his life in a car wreck a few years ago um and i did not have the pleasure of knowing him but based on the stories i've heard from his friends and his family he was just a really amazingly um, generous and personable guy who was a great friend, um, to everybody he knew. And he really had a heart for kids and an ability to make them laugh and elevate them and give them joy in the moment, um, to people he didn't even know. So whenever his family, um, you know they decided that they wanted to do something to honor justin they kind of over a few years developed the idea of justin's place and um i guess their main heart is just that we would carry on that legacy of justin and his ability to love on kids and bring joy to kids um and they they chose to do that through horses. So the family has some involvement with horses and thoroughbreds. And so that's
0: how Justin's Place kind of came to be. If my research is right, the family is still super involved. I saw lots of pictures of the family on the website, and it talked about how it's a family affair. Absolutely. So they're definitely our founders.
1: Um, certain members come out and volunteer on a weekly basis and help fundraise and um it's i think it's brought a lot of healing and encouragement to the family to be a part of what's going on here and to
0: see how it's changing lives of kids Definitely. So I also uh, was doing lots of research on you all um, for this, but I found this quote on your website that I loved and it says, horses teach you a lot. Very little of it actually has to do with horses. And I thought that was a very cute quote, especially living in Kentucky and the mission that you all proclaim. So speaking yeah. of the mission, can you go a little bit into the programming that you all do and that kind of thing? Sure. So our mission is to
1: support extraordinary kids and um, in a beautiful farm environment with therapeutic equine activities. So right now we serve four to 12 year olds with a diagnosis of autism and Down syndrome. And um, we serve them through a program called Barn Buddies. And it's basically a tailored hour for these kids that can include um, activities in our petting zoo, like working with goats or sheep or pigs. They can have sensory activities, picking flowers or vegetables in the garden or playing in the sand. Um, But most of them enjoy most is the therapeutic riding aspect where they're on the back of a horse trying to accomplish goals and playing games. Um, That seems to kind of be the highlight of the program. Where are you all located? We're in um, Wilmore, Kentucky. And... Uh, we actually have families that drive over an hour to come every week for us. So we kind of serve all of central Kentucky.
0: Wilmore is beautiful. I love driving through Wilmore. Yeah. So if I were to walk into Justin's place on any given day, what would I see? Just a daily operations, daily life. Yeah. Well, I have to brag on our
1: facility a little bit first. Um, I think that people just kind of expect a typical horse barn when they come here but it's actually quite uh, beautiful and designed with these kids in mind. So I think you would see an adorable petting zoo and um, rolling hills of a a really really beautiful farm here and I would hope that you would hear some belly laughs of kids and um, kids being very excited (laughs) to pet and interact and ride um while they are here and i am also really proud of our volunteer team so i think you would see a lot of collaboration and teamwork of everybody that's out here just trying to make the best experience for the kid
0: it's been interesting doing these interviews figuring out how nonprofits have had to pivot through this 2020 craziness that we've experienced in the COVID-19 pandemic so how has Justin's place had to change up things and still be able to be um, a place where kids can come and have those belly laughs like you were saying? Yeah so
1: in some ways uh, it was like okay timing for us because when everything was kind of shutting down this year it gave us like three solid months to build the farm how we wanted it. Um, so even though it kind of seemed like a bummer that we couldn't open because of COVID, I think what it actually allowed us to do was take our time in designing the farm and um, creating things to be safe and really considerate and really excellent for these kids. And then right when um, restrictions started loosening up a bit is when we actually had our grand opening and started having kids out. Um, because of the one-on-one nature of our programming we've been able to serve our community i feel like pretty actively and also still be safe and and comply with the restrictions at, at the same time.
0: So it is good giving time here at BGCF, and we are excited to have Justin's Place as a lucky participant. Is this your first year participating? It's Justin's Place, yes. As,
1: as my former nonprofit, we participated as well and loved it. So. Okay, great.
0: Well, there's no better time than right now, obviously, for your supporters to give to you all. So, what are you expecting to see from the Good Giving Challenge, and any urgent needs people should keep in mind when they're looking to give to you all?
1: We're very excited for this to be our first year. We have set a big goal um, of seventy-five thousand, and I'm I feel confident that we can raise it. Um, I I do just really want people to know that we've been open for three months and. In some ways we've kind of maxed out which is a great problem to have and um, we have 20 kids a week right now and we have a waiting list for next year. So um, if we raise our full goal or even above we would be able to add and expand our, our programming and we have kids that are waiting for it. So it's kind of an exciting place to be in.
0: You are truly living the dream or my dream to be around kids and horses and farmland all the time. I can only imagine just how much life that brings you every day. So what has been one of the most rewarding experiences as you've been working at Justin's Place?
1: Yeah, um, it is definitely a dream come true, literally for me. I used to think it was cheesy when people said, uh, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life, but that's how I feel. Um, and I can't really nail down one experience, but I just have all these moments that are kind of snapshots snapshots in my mind that I feel like I just took away um, and I will never forget kids saying certain things during sessions or thinking like rolling on the ground laughing so hard at something a goat took off my hat once and it I mean it just sent this kid over the edge he thought it was the most funniest thing ever and um, so just things like that where it's like nothing I do but it's just that moment between a kid and an animal and um, that you can't replicate anywhere else it's true a
0: bunch of moments I'm sure Yeah. So we're rounding to the end of this interview. So you've done such a great job, but I really, really love this question because I feel like there's always more to an organization that can be told through a firsthand experience like yours. So is there anything about the organization that you wish people knew that they might not know by looking at your social media or by your website, just something that you know that you want people to know? I think that I've done a good job so far hopefully
1: of explaining that we're not just a riding lesson you know it's it's really a comprehensive experience here with lots of different opportunities for these kids um but something i think is really important for the public to know is it's not just sitting on a horse and having a happy fun time and there's actually a ton of evidence-based research that shows These experiences actually help kids with their motor skills, their social skills, their balance, their core strength, um, their self-regulation, their independence. So um, we get awesome feedback from parents saying that, you know, their kids were able to meet goals that they've had in therapy for three years and they've been at Justin's place for a month and they've met that goal. And um, so it's actual measurable progress for these kids that are helping set them up for success as they transition into adulthood.
0: What can people expect from you in the upcoming months? We got how many more months of 2022? Two more months. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, so we're about to kind of wind down our, our, our season with the kids as it's getting colder and we're entering our fundraising season and we hope to reopen in 2021, you know, with great programming again and be able to serve more kids next year as well.
0: I know people want to find out how they can learn more about you and how they can get involved. So can you give us some places where people can do that? Sure.
1: So our Facebook and our Instagram handle is Justin's Place KY, um, And we're pretty active on social media, we post lots of cute pictures of animals and kids. And then our website is um, justinsplaceky.com.
0: Allie, thank you so much for doing all the stuff that you're doing and making our community a better place and for telling your story on the Do Good Radio Hour with Bluegrass Community Foundation. Thanks so much.
1: Thank you so much for having us.
0: You're listening to Radio Lex, the voice of the people. Welcome back to the Do Good Radio Hour. I am super excited about our next guest. That's plural with an S a tag team of Jesse Mansfield, the assistant director of Blessing Hands and Betty Cuts, the founder and director of Blessing Hands. Welcome to the show. We're so oh, excited to have you. you. Thank you. So tell us a little bit more about yourselves and what you do at Blessing Hands.
2: Well, Blessing Hands was started 15 years ago in Yangshuo, China. And, uh, I founded it because I saw the poverty at that time in our sister city, I was teaching in a summer camp. uh, And we had the cooperation of the education department there and still have today. So over those years, we have spread to other places in China and also to Thailand and Myanmar, which used to be Burma and uh, the Philippines. Um, We enjoy uh, helping children that's our goal, to help children uh, with educational needs, and we do help schools, too.
0: I'm so interested in what you all do, because I spent three months in Thailand, so I just find what you do very fascinating. And so could you go a little bit more into like the programs you do, and the mission, and the gist of your overall programming?
3: Well, we basically communicate with the school administration, and we get them to put together a list of students who are greatest need. And these tend to be students whose parents are farmers and have very little land, very little income. A few of the students have parents that have illness or some kind of a disability that prevents them from being able to work. So, those students are identified, and then we work with that list and gather together sponsors, and then we, once we have the sponsors and the students identified, we send the wire to the administration, and that's always fun. <laughs> that's, that's the big detail piece, um, but all the administration people that work with the schools and identify the Betty has developed a uh, volunteer network around her. So pretty much everyone is volunteer and they work just because they seriously, as Betty said, they just love children and they wanna see these kids be able to continue in their education. So in China, Betty, if I'm correct, uh, you were finding that kids were not going to school past primary school.
2: Well, in the country areas of the Yao and the minorities, that's very well be true, Uh, but Chinese uh, people uh, very much value education, and so uh, most of them would get through middle school, but uh, at the time we started high school, they still had to pay tuition, and so we concentrated on helping high school students so they could go on to college and we've helped over a hundred of the chunny students to go to college
0: so you all definitely have a global perspective if i'm very
2: much so yes
0: so (laughs) tell me a little bit more about that like the long distance communication and you working from home and just that dynamic
2: well you need a good internet connection
0: (laughs) there you go
2: (laughs) (laughs) and we use wechat a lot Uh, i hope that it stays. Uh, without WeChat and without email, we could not be a charity in this day and age And that. Uh, we are uh, just positioned to be able to do this remotely. It couldn't be done uh, 20 years ago at all. Uh, but uh, we find there's a time zone change, and uh, there's culture, and there's money cha- exchanges, and uh, it's challenging. <laughs> uh, Jesse, you want to talk about it?
3: Well, all the detail pieces are definitely constantly fluctuating. So <laughs> we we have to keep ourselves informed about what's happening in China, what's happening in Myanmar, Philippines, Thailand, and there are key people that we communicate with. I'd say that kind of. Of what's needing to happen.
2: We have a director in China who visits locations. And of course, we always visited every year all of our children in China until uh, the uh, COVID 19 set us all out. Uh, We've just started in uh, Myanmar. We haven't actually visited there yet, but we're planning a uh, uh, a health uh, educational intervention uh, next December in Myanmar with a, a graduate level nurse. So there are going to be people in Myanmar.
0: <laughs> I'm excited that you get the opportunity to go hopefully in 2021. So we'll see how that Yeah. You all have a very unique perspective. Uh, we work with a lot of nonprofits, but the fact that you do work globally is, is very, it's very different. So it's really interesting to talk to you. So you've kind of given us a glimpse of your overall mission and things like that. But I want to know, if I walked into your office, I guess into your home, what are the day-to-day operations of Blessing Hands,
2: daily life? Well, you would see me hunched over my computer. (laughs) And you would see Jesse uh, doing the same. And we often communicate by Zoom. Our uh, uh, board meets by Zoom because we're all... There's some in China and there's some other places in the United States. And so, uh, uh, as I was saying to Jesse the other day, we multitask. <laughs> you know, uh, I don't stop at 5.30. You know? <laughs> China is just waking up at 5.30. That's there's 12 so hours. <laughs> yes. So, uh, fortunately, Jesse and I are both uh, night owls, and uh, that's when China wakes up. So, we do a lot of our communication after 9 o'clock at night.
0: (laughs) I know we've all had to shift and pivot during this time of COVID-19 and and that whole thing. It's definitely affected organizations a lot, especially nonprofits. So you kind of talked about it a little bit, but maybe um, go into it more because it's unique for you all since you do a lot of your work over technology anyways, but how has it affected you all?
2: Well, the schools are closed in Myanmar and in Thailand, and I think also uh, in uh, you know, they're all in this, uh, a different hemisphere from us. So their school year does not start whenever it does in the Northern Hemisphere. Uh, in China, they nipped the uh, virus in the bud very quickly and still students were out of school for several months. And uh, we had to postpone sending money to the programs because there weren't anybody there uh, to receive it. Uh, So it has affected our programs, uh, but it hasn't affected, uh, no one's died, no one's gotten sick, they're just isolated.
0: Well, lucky for you all, it is good giving season. That's a very exciting time here at the Bluegrass Community Foundation. So you all, Blessing Hands, your organization is a lucky participant, so we're very excited that you're a part of that this year. And there's no better time to give, obviously, than right now in this year. Nonprofits need givers and donors more than ever. So what are you hoping to see out of the Good Giving Challenge this year, and what are your expectations?
3: Well, our focus this year is on Myanmar with the Good Giving Challenge. We're hoping to get on a solid level before we continue to grow that program. This year, we're partnering with 10 villages, 10 new villages, and we're trying to get the villages surveyed and identify the need. And that has also brought us into a lot of projects that are outside the educational side of Blessing Hands, um, because we're focusing also on some community development needs. Good Giving Challenge, we're hoping will help us be able to develop that program a bit better.
2: We started a water project, which we haven't really done before, to bring water from a uh, water source to a village where the uh, women had been walking several miles, three miles each day to get water. Uh, So that is something new for us. We did water purification in China, but we've never started a whole water system.
3: (laughs) And solar electricity. Um, I I feel like Myanmar has forced Betty, myself, to kind of network with people outside of the original Blessing Hands crew. We've had to really seek out experts in electrical work, water, (laughs) developing systems that will work on a village level. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, Myanmar has challenged us to go beyond our comfort zone, let's say.
2: <laughs> yes, in fact, you know, we bought motorcycles for the schools because uh, there's no roads. <laughs> and uh, it's a barter system. Uh, it, so what we did, we bought uh, uh, wood. And the village people have uh, made their own uh, bookcases and uh, tables and chairs for their schools. They've been sitting on the floor which is not too bad in their culture, but it's kind of nice to have some wooden furniture in your school. And they did all the work. We just uh, furnished the funds. 1700 to each of the 10 schools.
0: So I know that you could probably have many answers for this next question, but maybe one of you can answer, and then the next one can answer whichever order you want to go in. But what has been one of the most rewarding experiences for you working at Blessing Hays?
3: Well, I'd say the biggest blessing for me is I love to learn, and I am enjoying seeing sponsors get excited and happy to see their student graduate and pursue their dreams. Um, It's also really rewarding to receive letters from the students, and how a little help for long term is helping to really dream big and begin to come up with ways they can give back to their community. Um, I'd say I've also have loved seeing that now we're seeing the process go full circle, where some of the students that were sponsored are now becoming sponsors themselves. Mm -hmm. So we're seeing the the full circle of compassion and giving back to your community and all of that
0: happening. It really is a ripple effect. That's cool. Yes. Mm
2: -hmm. Yes, our philosophy was be a blessing hands, and we wanted to teach our students to pass on, what we gave them. And they're doing that. And that to me is the most rewarding thing is uh, we keep up with our, especially our college graduates. And we had one who uh, she didn't get the best college, Uh, she became a teacher and, uh, but she wanted to go back to her own village. And now she was a, a principal in her home village. And she wrote and she said, we've got these kids that need uh, coats. We've got these kids who need this and that. And one of our uh, board members has stepped forward. She has a a WeChat uh, blog, I guess she would call it. And she featured the story of this uh, teacher from when she was in the second grade, because that's how long we had supported her and showed the need of the, the present school she was in. And uh, she put it out in Chinese uh, over, you know, the Chinese connection, that's interesting too, is communicating both in English and Chinese with our newsletter and with our uh, sponsors. And people responded to that. Someone in uh, Los Angeles, Chinese lady, uh, wanted to get clothes for the kids and uh, the education department and Yangshua cooperated and she sent money and they have new coats for the winter. And uh, that was done because someone learned how to be a volunteer and share and I was helped and now here these kids are right in my school who need help and uh, it's snowballed. And uh, that's the most rewarding to me. I mean, when we first started in China, the idea of volunteering wasn't really there at least not in places I was. And then there was that huge earthquake. And in the past, China had denied any aid from outside people when they had an earthquake. But this time, they encouraged uh, donations and they encouraged their own people to donate. And it dawned upon people in China, we can do charity. And there are very few, uh, I wanna say, non-government charities in China before then. Now there's uh, many charities in China. And I might also say that a foreign non-government uh, organization, which is what they call a charity, is uh, very difficult to do. And we do have that status in China, hard won. <laughs> and uh, it's so rewarding to see that China is learning to be uh, compassionate toward its people. And uh, poverty alleviation has become very important in China and they're very successful with that. So much so that we now have high schools who are having their tuition paid by the government if they're poor and so we've had some schools say well, we don't need your help anymore and i thought what you don't need our help I know no, it's picking up the the expenses for the high school students and so it's like we we're it's my husband said we've only been one step ahead for years because we started out giving tuitions and. Primary school, and the very next year, the government began to pay primary tuition. Then we went to middle school, and next year the middle school was paid, or you know, soon after. Um, and now they're even helping them with college. <laughs> but there's still pockets of poverty in China, especially in uh, minority areas, and that's mostly where we're working now because the the uh, uh, China has mushroomed, and poverty is not as much there. But there's still a great need in uh, Myanmar, and uh, yeah. also in uh, Thailand and in the Philippines, and as it, it, we're just learning how to do these different countries and their money and their language. So, uh, but we have good help on the ground.
3: The Thailand, uh, the Thailand project started out of a love from a Chinese girl that grew up being supported by Blessing Hand, and she has now come full circle. She's on the board and everything. So she has a real heart for loving the students and this school that we're able to partner with in Thailand, Are a lot of them are child refugees that are in that Mm -hmm. Thailand school. So we're still, we're seeing those connections go across the border. And now we're in Walmart, (laughs) there's all those unique
2: needs, so. so. It's, it's, uh, everything in in China is done by relationship. And uh, it's also true in uh, the other countries, it's who you know. And uh, we just kind of follow those relationships, people that we can trust that the money will go to where it's, it is designated. And uh, when they know people, then we know people. I
0: love that. So we are rounding the corner here to the end of this. It has been such a pleasure talking to you. I really love this last question because I feel like it might give a little insight into your organization that people might not often see. And that is, is there anything you wish more people knew about your organization? I I think people should know how hard Betty and
3: her team has worked to make this happen. Um, I think when I tell people that this started with one lady seeing a need on a a trip with Sister Cities over to China, everybody's like, "One person?" And I'm like, "Yeah, she had friends, but <laughs> yes, she's she really is."
2: A founder. Oh, well, I think to... I could I could follow up on that and say people can do more than they realize. One person can change uh, a community. One person can change a country. And uh, don't say, "Oh, I don't have any qualifications. I'm already too old. I uh, I'm, I don't have any money. <laughs> <laughs> All of that is not important. If you have the heart and you have, uh, I want to say calling and uh, it can be done
0: well what a story what a mission i'm inspired i'm gonna go change the world now <laughs> okay <laughs> the, last thing, the last thing where can people find more about you tell people where they can get more involved
2: but well, we have a website at uh blessinghands.org and we're on facebook if you put in blessing hands uh you'll find us there Uh, We also um, have, of course, email. Uh, You can write to uh, B as in Betty, D as in Daniel, that's my name, Betty, B-D, cut, C-U-T-T-S, at blessing-hands, with an S, dot org. And uh, we'll find you, or you can find us that way. And we also have a blog. If you look for Blessing Hands on Google, you'll find us.
3: Yes, and we we have a, a new intern, a uh-huh. young Chinese girl who ended up in Moorhead, Kentucky, of all places. <laughs> and uh, she and her mom are very instrumental in, in finding new projects, connecting with people in China also. But Maggie is also starting to set up Twitter and Instagram. So uh-huh. you should also be able to find more about blessing hands on those using blessings for
0: well i think that's it everyone i feel like just by the stories you told me you are truly blessing hands and what oh a we're blessed. what a blessing that <laughs> is, for, is a blessing. <laughs> for all of our listeners today so jesse and betty thank you so much for sharing your story with us and for making not only our community but our world a better place so thank you for sharing with us at bluegrass community foundation
2: Thank
0: you. Thank you. Rounding up our Do Good Radio Hour with BGCF, last but certainly not least, we welcome Terry Mullins, the Executive Director of Movable Feast Lexington. Hello, Terry. Hi. Welcome to the
4: show. Thank you for having me
0: yeah we are very excited to learn more about movable feast of Lexington so tell us a little more about yourself and what you do how long you've been there everything
4: oh well myself I've been I've been here ever since we started 22 years ago uh, started about two months before we served our first meals which was October the 3rd 1989 1998 excuse me <laughs> get my numbers mixed up there 1998 uh, and I've Been around the Lexington community for a long time, been an activist for uh, AIDS and um, gay rights in Lexington for quite some time.
0: Could you tell us, you kind of did a little sneak peek to it, but to the mission of Movable Feast Lexington and some of the programming you all do?
4: program's fairly simple (laughs) in a way. We um, prepare and then deliver a hot meal five days a week to people here in Fayette County uh, with AIDS or on hospice care for any reason. Uh, we also deliver to the caregiver and any dependent children in the home. And that's basically our mission. We deliver that hot meal in the evening. Um, the neediest of our clients also can get a cold lunch delivered with that hot meal that they can have the next day.
0: How many employees do you all have? I'm just
4: curious.
0: Okay. Three. And I was looking at your website, and correct me if I'm wrong, but something that's unique about your organization is that you actually go to the home.
4: oh yes, we deliver the meals to the home every yeah, evening. can you
0: explain what that's like?
4: Well, we use volunteers to deliver the meals. Uh, we start in the kitchen preparing the meals about eleven o'clock in the morning. Uh, we're dishing them up at four o'clock the we volunteers come in and pick up the meals and deliver them to the home. We're delivering to about 130-135 meals a day, right at the present time.
0: Who comes up with the recipes, the meals? The-
4: uh, well, we have a longtime uh, kitchen manager. That's, that's his job to manage the kitchen, come up with the, re- the meal planning and that type of thing.
0: So you gave us the overarching mission statement, but if I were to walk into Movable Feast Lexington today, what would I see? What's the daily operations? What's daily life like?
4: Daily life is, uh, we had the, like I said, we have three employees, uh, the two of them in the kitchen, kitchen manager and his assistant. Uh, and they're down there preparing meals right now. uh, uh all of our meals consist of an entree, uh, a side, a starch, bread, dessert, and a salad. Um, and they're down there, Fixing all that up for 130 people right now. Uh, my job is everything else that doesn't require the cooking. It's the bookkeeping, the payroll, the grant writing, everything else besides doing the cooking. But of course, I have done the cooking, but <laughs> usually not. <laughs> right.
0: I wouldn't be doing the cooking either. So. <laughs> Obviously, in 2020, we've experienced a lot of changes and a lot of things thrown at us. So how you and your team have had to pivot, but also still be available to the communities that you serve?
4: Well, uh, the major shift, of course, is all of us have to wear PPE now and the delivery drivers have to wear PPE. But other than that, uh, the biggest shift has been our numbers have gone up by about 10%.
0: Oh, wow, Uh, they've gone up.
4: Yeah, they've gone up because of People being out of work and needing money and everybody's all money's tight right now. So
0: right, right. Well, that is the perfect segue into the next question, which talks about good giving. So you say money's <laughs> tight and you all are a participant this year in good giving. We're hoping that'll end us all on a on a positive note. But what is movable feast lexington looking for in the good giving challenge and any urgent needs that your givers should take note of? when they're giving to you?
4: Well, just like like I was saying, our numbers are up, our donations are down uh, because everybody's money's tight and I'm hoping they're going to be generous this year, as, as they usually always are, uh, but maybe dig a little deeper this year <laughs> if they possibly can, if, they're, if they have a job to help other people that aren't working right at the present time.
0: Can you give us a rewarding experience or a story of what it's like being involved in an organization committed to enhancing the quality of life of people living with AIDS and HIV or who are in hospice care for any reason.
4: There's only so much I can share (laughs) and give in in that, but it has been rewarding. It is a rewarding job to, uh, to be able to deliver the food to these people. Uh, a lot and our hospice patients also, uh, they're all very grateful, uh, that they get the food, uh, it's it's nice to hear, <laughs> uh, but it's that's the most rewarding part is to be able to give them something that they need.
0: So I really like this last question because it might give people a little insight into something that they might not get from looking at your website or looking at your social media. Is there anything you wish more people knew about your organization? Something that you always want to tell people, but you don't get the chance and now's your chance. <laughs>
4: The biggest thing I want people to know is we always are in need of delivery drivers, uh, volunteers to come in the afternoon and deliver that food to these people. Uh, we're always short on drivers. Uh, I have to deliver myself about five days a week. Uh, yeah, about five days a week right now. Uh, sometimes it's better, sometimes it's worse, and we're we're really low at the present time. Uh, so yeah, delivery drivers. That's what I want people to know is we need delivery drivers badly.
0: That's such a underrated need to like people probably wouldn't think that. And so that that's great that you mentioned that.
4: Yeah. And it's not a difficult job. Uh, you come in here and it takes two, two and a half hours. You're done.
0: There you go. What should people expect from your organization in the upcoming months? <laughs> yeah. Rounding off 2020, what, what do they expect from you
4: all? Just more of the same. We'll be here. We, we've been rock steady for 22 years and we're gonna be here delivering food. That's what we do, preparing, delivering food, and feeding people.
0: I love that. I think that's such a testament to your mission is being consistent and having longevity over time. I really think that's a testament to you all and the work that you're doing. So congratulations on that. Well, and last you. question, you've done such a great job. We're already to the last question how can people get more involved how can people know more about you is there a place i can visit
4: well you can visit the website www.feastlex.org f-e-a-s-t-l-e-x.org uh you can call me 859-252-2867 um and that that's the easiest ways to find me uh or uh email uh feastlex at feastlex.org
0: So all the people listening to this, contact Terry and get involved. It sounds like a great organization doing a lot of great stuff. Terry, thank you so much for all the hands-on work that you're doing in Lexington and making it a better place for our community. And so thank you for taking the time to share your story with us at BGCF. We appreciate it. Thank you. All right, everyone. That is it. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you were encouraged by the stories of good happening right here in our community. I definitely know that I am. Make sure you tune in next Monday at 2 p.m. for more good stories and the next installment of the Do Good Radio Hour.